Please turn with me once more in your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 2. Nehemiah, the second chapter. Preaching this evening will be taken from that chapter of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 2. And our title for this evening's message is God Answers Prayer. God Answers Prayer. Have you ever prayed for something and the Lord has clearly and wonderfully answered <coughs> that prayer but perhaps in the rush of life you've forgotten to thank him for that answer to prayer or perhaps once that prayer has been answered you do not continue in prayer. You think, well, I'm quite content. Wonderful, that has been answered. But we do not continue in prayer. If you're a Christian, someone saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, you know that the Lord answers prayer. He answered your prayer when you cried out to him to save your soul. For whosoever calleth on the name of the Lord shall be saved. He answered your cry. That was an answer to prayer. And most likely people prayed for you. They prayed for your soul. When you were young, perhaps you came to know the Lord when you were young. Perhaps you came to know the Lord when you were older. And perhaps that was an answer to prayer for someone else. Yet another answer to prayer we can forget so many examples can't we of the Lord answering prayer all around us providentially by his hand showing his care for us his children but let us not forget in the midst of answered prayer the importance of continuing in such prayer this evening we're going to look at Nehemiah once again, and as we looked at Nehemiah chapter 1, previous Thursday, we're going to look at Nehemiah chapter 2. Nehemiah cries out to the Lord. He's devastated. He has a prayer. And wonderfully, we're going to see in this, his prayer begins to be answered. Stage after stage. It's devastating news. Jerusalem is in ruins. This is some years after Cyrus the Great, the then king of Persia, sent them back to their homeland. Once in captivity and slavery, now they've been home almost 90 years now. And Jerusalem is still a heap. It is in ruins. It is not the perfection of beauty. It is not the joy of the whole earth. It becomes a plain place of taunting and mocking. It is open to its enemies. So Nehemiah, he fasts. He prays. And wonderfully we see in this chapter, his prayers are answered. Our first point that we're going to look at this evening, uh, 1.4, is presence. Number one, presence. As we mentioned 
in our last midweek here as we came to pray before the Lord, Nehemiah is the king's cupbearer. The king's cupbearer. We learn this at the end of chapter 1. The very last line of chapter 1, for I was the king's cupbearer. We may read over that and think that's not a very important little detail. But Nehemiah was very important. He had the ear of the king. He had much influence over Artaxerxes. And this was quite much more than just being the king's butler. A very important role in the Persian Empire. A great privilege. It says in verse 1 of the second chapter, And it came to pass in the month Nisan, in the twentieth year of Artaxerxes the king, that wine was before him, and I took up the wine and gave it unto the king. Now I had not been before time sad in his presence. It's a great privilege to be in the presence of any king. Of any king. But how does God answer prayers? We're going to see this as we look through this chapter. How does God answer prayers? He answers Nehemiah's prayers by bringing things into his life. And so often he can do this. He does the same with us. Various things in his providential hand. He brings into our lives as he does with Nehemiah here in this text. God providentially brings him before the king. Gives him this role. How did he have such a role? By the hand of God. How was he there in that specific day with those specific circumstances? By the hand of God. And why was he, as we're going to see, sad in his presence on that particular day. In a day where the king had interest in Nehemiah's sadness of heart. By God's hand. Coming into the presence of the great king for such a time as this. You could put it this way. There are no accidents with God. God is in control of all the big details in our lives and indeed all the seemingly small details of our lives. On this day, the king was attentive to the voice of Nehemiah. It says in verse number two, Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Then I was very sore Afraid, And this is all to do in the Lord's providence once again by the hand of Almighty God that the king cared at all what his servant was going through, why he was sad in his presence. Nehemiah was upset and this was clear to the king. Now, why was this something that caused fear in Nehemiah's heart? To come into the presence of the king of Persia Looking sad. Why, why was he afraid? Well, the, all the parts of scripture inform us of this. Well, it wasn't a good idea to come with items of grief and sorrow into the presence of the king of Persia. One part that we can see this in is Esther chapter 4 and verse 2. Esther chapter 4 and verse number 2. And this passage is speaking about Mordecai. Mordecai has sackcloth and ashes on him. And in verse 2 it says this. 
and came even before the king's gate. For none might enter into the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. Because it was unusual and perhaps seen as ungrateful to come with the tokens of grief in before the king. Providentially. Something that Nehemiah didn't want the king to see, the king sees. Providentially, the king, as we see, looks kindly upon Nehemiah. And we can even think about this from an earthly point of view, can't we? Earthly rulers, they, they shun the idea of any sadness in their court, in their presence. They are powerful rulers. They wish not to be disturbed with sad news. Many of these rich, powerful rulers, they want to hear good things. They want to hear happy things. And they do not wish for people to come grumbling before them. They want to be surrounded with joy and thanksgiving and perhaps much flattery. But in the presence of our King of kings and Lord of lords, we need not fear bringing our tears, do we? When we come before the great king of kings, a far more powerful king than Artaxerxes, we need not fear looking sad. The Lord knows our hearts far better than anyone else in our lives. We cannot hide anything from our God in heaven. And one thing we will discover I pray by experience is God cares far more for his children than we realize. I think sometimes Christianity can be presented as something as if smile, all your problems are over. Friends, that is not true. In this world, it is difficult. It is a battle. It is filled with many tears, many trials, opportunities for discouragement and dismay. And the Lord in the midst of that is there for us when we come to him in his presence. See, we have the ear of the king. Nehemiah had the ear of Artaxerxes, that king of kings. They called him the king of kings in that day. But we have the ultimate king of kings and lord of lords, whose throne and dominion never, ever changes. Where is the king of Persia today? God. But our king is still on the throne. And we can come before him with our tears and our sadness of heart. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 15. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. But was in all points tempted as we are. Yet without Sin, And you can quote many parts of the Bible showing how much the Lord cares for us. Powerful rulers, they would shun such displays in their presence normally. But not our king. Not our king. And we have Nehemiah here, he comes with wine. It's interesting, isn't it? Wine often in the Bible is a picture of Adding gladness to the heart. You can see it in Song of Solomon and other parts. We can come because of Jesus. In whom the Father delights. What a wonderful privilege it is to come into the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Number two now, we're going to look at priority. 
So we've looked at the presence of the king. Now we're going to look at the priority. How was Nehemiah moved to be so upset? He's trying to contain it now. He does care, but does not know what will come out in this way. God moved him to be so. Why did he care at all about the news? Why was he in such grief as we see in chapter 1? Why was he mourning, fasting, weeping for days? Because his great priority was God and his city. His great priority was God and Jerusalem. His great priority was God and his people. What was important to Nehemiah? Let's think of what, what was important to Nehemiah. And verse 3 gives it, tells us here. And said unto the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad? This is Nehemiah speaking. When the city, the place of my father's sepulchres, lieth waste. And the gates thereof are consumed with fire. This is the one thing that consumes him. This is, he's no longer seems to be worried, does he, about what the king will say. This is the one great priority of Nehemiah. And wonderfully, he's not indifferent. I think sometimes in our own walks, we can become ourselves indifferent to the sufferings of other Christians around the world. And I include myself in that. But God moves us at various times to care for various people, to intercede for them. Why is that? Because God moves us. God changes us to care and not be indifferent. Nehemiah was certainly not indifferent to the decline and the suffering of the people of God. This is God answering prayer. By his sovereign, all-powerful hand, he moves the heart of the king. He moves the heart of Nehemiah, moving him to what? To answer the prayer of chapter 1, verse 11. Let us remind ourselves of part of Nehemiah's prayer. Verse 11 of Nehemiah chapter 1. O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thy servants and desire to fear thy name and prosper. I pray thee, thy servant, this day, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. He's looking for prosperity. He's looking for, and not prosperity we might think of in the world, but he's looking for success, you might say. He's looking for blessing for the people of Almighty God. God uses means. He uses what looks to us as ordinary, plain means. But it does not depend on these means at all. God could do anything without us. God is not limited in any way. But he often does use such means, doesn't he? Those means such as you're at the register waiting for someone to clear through all your shopping for the week. And you may have an opportunity there to share the gospel. That may be the means by which God saves that person. Such a simple little time can be the means God uses. God uses means. 
He uses willing and moved, changed servants to bring about his purposes. You see, yes, we can say we wait upon the Lord, but we also should be moved in the direction in which we're praying, shouldn't we? We should be moved. One thing we also see in this passage, in this chapter, God also uses pagan kings. He's not just in control or rules over the people of God. He certainly does. But he's also in control even of the pagan kings. Look at verse 4. Then the king said unto me, For what dost thou make request? So, this is astonishing. This powerful ruler, Artaxerxes, said, What do you want? What's going on? What would you like? Then in verse number six, it says this, And the king said unto me, the queen also sitting by him, For how long shall thy journey be? And when wilt thou return? So it pleased the king to send me. And I set him a time. Isn't that astonishing? Nehemiah's heart is moved. His great priority is the people of God. And God also moves the heart of this pagan king. This king has no interest in bowing before the king of kings and the lord of lords. But sovereignly, wonderfully moves this pagan king in this direction. If we turn to Proverbs chapter 21 and verse 1. Proverbs 21 and verse number 1. The king's heart is in the hands hand of the Lord. As the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. We've got to realize this. When we keep our focus and our priorities straight upon the Lord, upon seeking his power, his glory, and the good of his church, and the building up of Jerusalem upon, the, upon this earth, God is in control of all the rulers of this world. What should our priorities be? We can be concerned by so many things. We can be distracted by so many things. It's about the things of this world. They have their place. But whatsoever we eat or drink, those menial tasks, may all things be done to the glory of God. We shouldn't be concerned about what pagan kings do. The Lord overrides them all. We must seek God. And Nehemiah does. In the providential, leaning towards. He's worried at first, but then the Lord moves his heart. And then he's bearing his heart before this very powerful king who could end his life at any moment. Very, very powerful, very, very ruthless were many of these rulers in the ancient world. Very, very simply, Nehemiah was moved to obey God. I think Matthew Henry puts it best when he says this, our prayers must be seconded with serious endeavors, else we mock God. They must be seconded with serious endeavors. <coughs> think of it another way. If a farmer prays for a good crop but doesn't plant the seeds surely friends that is presumption he plants the seeds 
He labors. He digs. He removes the stones. He does all the labor. Trusting that the Lord will provide. The Lord uses means. Our great priority. And we could think of it in a couple of different ways. Do we pray for revival? Do you pray for revival? But yet, do we witness to people when there's opportunity? Do you pray for a certain person to be saved, but have never witnessed them? I'm not saying don't pray, but our prayer must be led by action, or followed by action. God used the priorities of the servant of God. Look at verse number 12 in our text. Verse number 12. And I arose in the night, and I and some men with me, neither told I any man, listen to this, what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. If there's anything good we are praying for, because the Lord has put it in our hearts, just as he did with Nehemiah. Our third point now this evening is this, perseverance. Perseverance, how does God answer prayer? So we've talked about his presence, his pr- the priority of God and his people, and perseverance. When was Nehemiah's prayer answered? We know from chapter 1, he, begin, he prays in Chislet. And in in verse 1 of this chapter we're looking at, it has now come to the month Nisan. And it came to pass in the month Nisan. There's about four months have passed (coughs) between this prayer we read in chapter 1 of Nehemiah and this answering of prayer, of the moving of the king toward The blessing of the people of God. And we also have to realize too. Not everything happened straight away. There was answers to prayer in steps. And there must be perseverance and persistence in prayer. There's months of prayer. Have passed at this point. And he's still heartbroken. Imagine that months have gone by. When he hears the news first, he, he most likely loses his appetite. He is fasting and weeping. He's mournful. He cannot believe what is happening to the city of God. Because his priorities were right. He continues. He persists in prayer. He doesn't just pray once and then that's it. I'll say, okay, well, I prayed for that thing and that's enough. No, he continually comes before the throne of grace. And the Lord, in chapter 2 here, provides providentially a way for this prayer to be answered. Again, we, we point out God does not depend on any means, but he uses means so much. Verse number 4, once again. Then the king said unto me, that's Artaxerxes, for what dost thou make request? So this is the king asking. And even though this powerful king is asking him, what do you want? This would be amazing. Imagine hearing a great and powerful king asking you, what would you like? 
we probably wouldn't pause for a second before giving our answer. Not Nehemiah. So I prayed. So I prayed to the God of heaven. His first response was prayer. He persisted in prayer. Nehemiah sees the fruits of his prayer right in front of him. And yet he prays more and more and more. Only then does he respond to the king. How much petitioning takes place before our governments? How many petitions are signed? I'm not saying these things are bad. If you do meet a politician, you should remind them that they are a minister of God. They will stand before God and answer before God for their actions. They are under greater condemnation than other people in society for their sins. But how much petitioning goes before them? And how little petitioning today in our day goes before the throne of grace? Nehemiah does not stop with the king's permission. He persists and he keeps going in prayer in verse 11. In verse 11, he not only persists in prayer, also persists in the labor. Verse 11, so I went to Jerusalem. This is at this point the king has given him permission to go, and I was there three days. The work continues. We struggle with this, don't we? Sometimes we'll have these wonderful moments in our walk, and then we we drift again, and then the Lord will bring us back, and we drift again. But Nehemiah persists in the labor. We must be persistent and consistent because, dear friends, the devil is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. It's not easy. Once we have that sweet taste of the answer to prayer, the devil immediately wants you distracted. In verses, in verse number 10, in verse number 10, Talks about uh, the opposition face, but also something at the end of this verse. Sanballat, Tobiah are very, very grieved. Why? It says at the end of verse 10, a man, there was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. This is, this is driving him forth. This is causing him to persist and continue. And in verses 18 and 19, it says this, Then I told them of the hand of my God, which is good upon me, as also the king's word that he had spoken unto me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. And there's opposition in verse 19. It's not because the Lord has answered prayer, everything's going to be easy. The opposition is still there. The difficulty is still there. Verse 19 points it out. And when Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the servant, and the Ammonite, and Geshem, the Arabian, heard it, they laughed us to scorn. Now when we read that, we might think, ah, what's the big deal about being mocked until we are? Laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, what is this thing that ye do? Will you rebel against the king? Now there's accusations. There's 
false things been spread about them. But do you see, we may have answers to prayer, it doesn't mean the opposition and the difficulty ends. So we must persist. We must be continuing on because if we don't, if we don't, if we think that therefore all things will be easy, it won't. We will not have that full and final rest until we're with the Lord in heaven. The work continues. Nehemiah is given this permission. Then what does he do? He goes into Jerusalem. He goes into Jerusalem to examine the work that he must do. He's persevering in the work. Verses 12 and 13. And I arose in the night. And I and some few men with me. Neither told I any of the men what my God had put in my heart to do in Jerusalem. Then verse 13. And I went out by night. By the gate of the valley, even before the dragon well, and to the dung port, and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and the gates thereof were consumed with fire. Do you see what he's doing? What work needs to be done in the city? What materials are needed? What is to be done? He doesn't rest in his laurels. He keeps going, persisting in the work, even in the midst of wonderful answers. To prayer. Our final point, number four, pleasing. Pleasing. So we've looked at presence, priority, perseverance, and finally number four, pleasing. We've we've talked a lot about here method and, and the means that God uses using kings and rulers and these opportunities that the Lord brings into our lives as He did with Nehemiah. But we must never forget the success or failure or anything else is all dependent on God. It's not our efforts. We can swing in one direction or another. We think, well, I trust God so much, I'm not going to do anything. Or, in my strength, I'm not going to rest day or night. I'm going to go, go, go. The difference will not be our perseverance. The difference will be God. Whether it pleases God or not. That is the thing. And the ruler, Artaxerxes, king of Persia. It was because it pleased him to send Nehemiah. That he went. How much more so does it have to please our God in heaven. For him to answer our prayers. It says... In verses 5 and verse 6. This is Nehemiah speaking in verses 5 and verses 6. And I said unto the king. If it please the king. And if thy servant have found favor in thy sight. That thou wouldest send me unto Judah. Unto the city of my father's sepulcher. That I may build it. Notice how he doesn't say somebody else. That I may build it. And the king said unto me, the queen also sitting by him, How long shall thy journey be? And then at the end of the verse it says, So it pleased the king to send me. If it didn't please Artaxerxes, he wasn't going. From an earthly point of view. What about our heavenly king? Our heavenly king. Artaxerxes writes letters to the governors. All that they would need in the building was provided. Verses 7 and verse 8. Moreover I said unto the king. 
If it please the king, let letters be given me to the governors beyond the river, that's the river Euphrates, that they may convey me over till I come into Judah. And a letter to Asaph. And at the end of the verse it says, And the king granted me according to the good hand of my God upon me. It pleased Artaxerxes because it pleased the God of heaven. It pleased the God of heaven. So if we're going to petition, if we're going to cry out to anyone above all else, we cry out to our God in heaven. And if it's not pleasing to God, friends, it stands no chance. It has no hope. It may appear to be victorious for a time. Churches may try things that are contrary to the word of God. They may bring in things. They may entertain people. And it may appear that they are building up a church. But in the long run, what happens? The important thing is, we follow God. Jesus will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We are to be faithful in these things. We do these things for the glory of God. We do these things for the blessing of the bride of Christ. And there's something really serious here, isn't there? Nehemiah is absolutely devastated and seeks with all that he has to bring about the building up of Jerusalem. He's not indifferent to the decline and the state of the city of God on earth. How are we when we see the decline of the church in the West? And it's not just happening here in Scotland. Where I live in Northern Ireland. And I'm not just talking about church attendances. There's plenty of people going to church, what are called churches, but the gospel at times is not even present. Worship is drifting further and further away from the revealed will of God. And yes, maybe people will present themselves in church buildings, but they have no love for God in their hearts. No love for his people. Does it break our hearts? Nehemiah was not indifferent He viewed the walls of Jerusalem which were broken down and he set in motion changing. Not just accepting it, well, we're just in those days and that's the way it is. Nehemiah prayed, he wept, and he mourned because it was all he could think about. He he was consumed by this. That the bride of Christ, the city of God, the Jerusalem, spoken about in the scriptures, would be beautiful as she's described. She became a reproach, a shameful thing. Walls broken down, her enemies easily able to come in. The bulwarks, those defenses that would defend the city of God down. And what would happen then? The enemies of God easily able to come in. What are the defenses? Do we know what they are anymore? Do we know those truths upon which the church either stands or falls? Do we pass them on to the next generation? This is something that really filled Nehemiah's heart. It wasn't just a building project. 
It showed the state of the people of God on earth. Verse 17, then said I unto them, ye see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lieth waste, and the cities thereof are burned with fire. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we be no more a reproach. Friends, do you believe God answers prayer? Honestly, do you believe God answers prayer? It's so important that we remind ourselves of the times in the past that God has answered our prayers. I think so often when we have prayers answered, we can almost be surprised when the Lord does answer. We should expect because the Lord promises. Perhaps the answer is no, not yet. Perhaps we have to wait a long time. But come with tears. Come with your heart. The Lord knows. There's no no acting with God. He knows what's in our hearts. And we must come putting him first. We can't come with a divided heart. We can't come with our idols. We have to come with a concern for the glory of God on earth. Because friends, Nehemiah put God first. He put the city of God first. He wasn't putting whatever the idols of the day are, sports, money, comfort, even family, popularity, or is it God? And when troublous, when difficult times do come, and there's, you can see throughout this book, there are difficult times. There are difficult times until we will be In heaven, do you give up? We will give up if we look at the the Sambalats and the Tobias of the world. If we just focus on them. But if we focus on God, that will give us the strength that we need. May the Lord be blessed. May the Lord be, be pleased to bless our prayers this evening and glorify his name in all these things. Amen. Let us pray before Almighty God.